Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast takes you to the center and fringe of art scenes around the world. Today we're in Miami to introduce you to Don and Mara Rubel, art collectors since 1964. We recorded with the Rubels in December 2019. Since then, the coronavirus pandemic has shaken our planet. We recognize the very real sense of before and after as we share these conversations about creativity. Today's episode conveys the excitement that surrounded the opening of the Rubel family's new museum. From March 17, 2020, the collection has been closed until further notice, as South Florida awaits the all-clear to safely resume public life. The Rubels started collecting when Don was in medical school, and Mara was a preschool teacher. The first work they collected was by Ira Kaufman. They paid for it in weekly installments of $25. Collecting art ever since, they're joined by their son Jason, who became a collector himself as a teenager. They've become known for supporting the work of emerging and overlooked artists. Pursuing their passion means visiting studios, museums, fairs, galleries, and biennials across the globe. Research and relationships are vital to each acquisition. In 1993, they opened the Rubel family collection in Miami's Wynwood district. Over the next two decades, the value of real estate in the neighborhood soared. The collection outgrew their 40,000-square-foot space. A former Drug Enforcement Administration warehouse, they had turned into an art venue. The Rubels started looking for storage nearby. An abandoned food processing plant by the railroad tracks less than a mile away sparked the idea of creating a museum. The 100,000-square-foot warehouse complex in the Alapata district became the spacious new home for their collection. Architects transformed seven buildings into an epic space for more than 7,000 works by over 1,000 artists. On the eve of the museum opening, we join a private tour with Mara, Don, and Jason. Minimalism and the ready-made. I always felt like it had such a huge impact on someone like the way guy, um, where it is about the ready-made. The hand is almost not there. Um, a well-sized painting by Kahinda Wiley, two of Yayo Kusama's Infinity Rooms, and Keith Herring's Statue of Liberty are just a few of the large-scale works that have room to breathe here. When the artists and the galleries want to work with us and help us, uh, that's when it happens. Otherwise, it's impossible. Both Kusama and, in this case, David Warner's gallery really made us an offer and a presentation that we couldn't resist and that could work inside of our budget. You know, it just worked. So, so often that you really need the relationship with the, with the artist and the gallery. <laughs> Mara Rubel voices the importance of their relationships with artists and gallerists. 
acknowledging that Jason is the one who keeps an eye on opportunities to acquire key historic works. Jason, being an art major, said whenever we can, whenever it's successful, whenever we can afford it, we should push to bring some historical pieces into the collection. So these came quite late. Uh, we didn't collect a, a flame at the time that this was made, but whenever possible, we do reach into history. In the case of both Kusama, Flavin, Judd, and even Carl Andre that you'll see, we reached in because, because Don and I never had an art vacation, actually. But we read a lot of the books that you'll see in the library, but Jason in particular, as being an art history major, was really keen on um, creating the dialogue between more history with the contemporary art. Walking through the galleries with the Rubels, we encounter art by some of the best known in the world. Among them, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Cecily Brown, Rashid Johnson, Jeff Koontz, Cindy Sherman, and Micheline Thomas. So 2006, we did the Red Eye Show of artists uh, Aaron Curry, Thomas Hassel, and we also integrated the first room, Paul McCarthy, Charles Ray, Mike Kelly. They've followed and collected the work of some artists for decades. So for us, they'll always be 28 years old. <laughs> Except that Thomas is now... They're already getting near 60, but they were 28. <laughs> the first installation took months and involved great attention to detail. Some things were easier to place than other things, and then we, we, we moved a lot of things, and we rehung a lot of things. But even if they were wrong by an inch, we rehung it, because an inch makes all the difference. You know? I mean, it make all the difference. We sit down with Mara and Don to talk about their design for inspiring visitors. So we've got 100,000 square feet. It's seven buildings that interconnect on the railroad with 10 big concrete loading bays, which we've transformed into an indigenous garden. I don't know how it's possible, but 24 hours after the trees went in, the birds arrived. And the butterflies. In fact, today there was a gorgeous, beautiful bird that I'd never seen before. Yellow. Of course, our director, Juan, who adores the Everglades and is responsible for curating this garden, knew exactly what bird this was. And he said, I planted this tree knowing that it would attract this bird. To him, it's a very special way of saving some of these endangered plants. People will enter through the garden through a restaurant into the introductory area, and then we'll proceed down a spine, and coming off the spine will be a series of galleries, culminating at the top of a gentle ramp with large rooms in another area of about 25,000 feet of 18-foot high ceilings, which will again show a work of uh, certain specific types. In each of those three groups coming off the spine will have a theme of or a semi-theme of its own. So there's some very sound logic in getting through the museum and, and getting a sense of what attracted us for the last 55 years. They can enjoy the garden, have a drink, because we have this lovely bar that we built in the garden, and we have a restaurant. They'll forget where they are, even though the area around us is very industrial. I think we created a bit of an oasis. Uh, the combination of the art and the good food and just the sense of nature 
in this concrete jungle, they'll find it very appealing. And let's not forget that we see the train that is just on the same block. We're on 12th Avenue and you've got the train passing. So we have a sense of being in the city and we are closer to the urban center of Miami. We've allowed a whole variety of works, including the only two Kinsama Infinity Rooms probably in the United States. I'd love to talk a little bit about where we're sitting right now. It's the quietest place in the museum for today, and it's a room full of books. Tell me what the purpose of this space will be. We've always been committed to the idea that you must study about the art that you're interested in. You must study about their antecedents, and almost every book in this room has been read by one or the other of us. It's probably the largest collection of just contemporary art south of the Smithsonian. And it's very well used. The local universities come here and they do their research projects here. It's something we're very proud of and it's something that I almost killed myself in the last four days trying to put together with Jason. I think it's beautiful and I know when I talked to Alison Zuckerman about her residency here, she spent a lot of time in the library. I think all your residents do. How long have you been doing the residency? Eight years. Last year, the Knight Foundation surprised us with a grant, and it's meant the world. Just to be recognized for what we do, and it allows us to expand this program, and the internships that we do here, it brings people from the outside to Miami, and that opens people's knowledge of Miami, and many keep coming back, and then they spread the word wherever they go about how welcoming a city this is, and it's just good all around, because they come here, and we go to them, and this year we have an artist from Ghana. He's been studying in Vienna for the last five years. What connected us to Vienna is that we sent Actually, our Keith Herring Statue of Liberty went to the Albertina for their Keith Herring exhibition. By the way, one of the most popular exhibitions of all time. And you know, the Albertina is a really classical museum. So that brought us to Vienna. And then coincidentally, we ended up last year with an Austrian artist because of that visit, Rudolf Polanski. And this year we have Mwako, who studied formal painting in Ghana and then has been getting an MFA in the Vienna Academy. It also represents a great opportunity both for our staff and for the artists in Miami to get to know artists who are coming from different cultures. And they've developed some real friendships. I mean, Allison and Laura are very close. It allows the people here to learn more about art and culture from different places. The museum opens with a bright gesture, aiming to connect the Rubel with other important art venues in Florida via public transit. A local highlight for me, we unveiled the Brightline Keith Haring wrap on the trains. So you'll get a taste of what Keith Haring's magic is all about by seeing the hearts and the babies and the barking dogs. And Okay, so we have a partnership with the Brightline, and every ticket that somebody buys to take a ride on the Brightline is a free ticket to come into our museum. It's a perfect collaboration. First of all, the Keith Haring Foundation was very supportive of this. What Brightline is excited about is that instead of just seeing the train as a way to get to your job efficiently, it now connects Miami, Broward, and Palm Beach culturally, because you can get on the train in an hour and 10 minutes from Miami to West Palm, 
West Palm to Miami and go visit a museum, have lunch, and then take a trip back home. It speaks to public transportation also, not to mention that one of the things that really attracted us to this location was that we are two blocks from the Santa Clara station. So this station, you take it to their station, which is just two stops away, and you connect with the Bright Line, and, and then you walk two blocks over to us. So all of a sudden, I mean, we get up Sunday morning, we can say, well, I think I want to see something at the Norton Museum, you know, or they say, oh, I want to see something at the Pam, or see something at the Rubel's. It makes our backyard that much bigger. You know, life is still physical. You know, we forget we can be seduced by the virtual world that we're all kind of getting lulled into. But art is a physical human experience that we need to touch and see and feel. And I think that the museum is still a place for feeling and seeing. So please come and check it out. One of the latest developments in Miami's evolving art ecology, the Rubel Museum offers an expansive new context for contemporary art. Long-term installations and special exhibitions draw from their collection to take full advantage of the layout. The Rubels offer an experience like no other. You will sense their personal commitment to optimize your view of seminal works by artists they discovered more than 50 years ago and those they might have met last week. Look for views of the new Rubel Museum on Instagram at FreshArtINTL. If you like what you're hearing, please take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast anywhere you go to listen. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, and listeners like you make Fresh Art International possible. Visit our site to learn more and explore the podcast archive we've been building since 2011. While you're there, sign up for our latest news and give a donation to support our stories. Stay safe and stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.